This morning, I want to jump into a subject that is not easy to preach on, but it's definitely a reality that we have today. Matter of fact, before I actually get into that, um, how many knows what this is? Smoke detector, right? How many... Uh, Don't you hate hearing that? Is that not really probably one of the most annoying sounds that you could ever hear? I mean, don't, don't you just hate it? Do you not? Matter of fact, I remember uh, a week or so, or actually several weeks ago, a month or so ago, we had a battery that went, went bad in hours and... Uh, and that thing started just carrying on, and, and it's a smoke detector and carbon monoxide, and it has the voice activated, and warning, smoke, and you know, all this kind of stuff, and it's just loud and carrying on, and, and, and there's one in every bedroom and different places in the house, and I'm trying to, you know, it kind of echoing throughout the whole house, and I couldn't figure out which one it was, and I was taking batteries out, of, and that thing was going off, and it was just crazy. Matter of fact, um, a while back, a week or so ago also, the, uh, the power went off. Well, when it kicked back on, you know what usually happens to these things? They just start this, you know, this buzzing and this beeping just to let you know that it's back on. And how many loves hearing that? Nobody does. But let me tell you something. In all reality, this thing right here that annoys us may be the very thing that saves our life if our house was to catch on fire. It may be the very thing that gets your children out safely. It may be the very thing that gets you out safely. It may be the thing that saves our life. I'll be honest with you, the subject that I'm going to be dealing with today, sometimes, I don't know if annoying is the right word, but it's really not easy. It's, it's almost just too loud. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's maybe somewhat annoying. But today I want to look into God's Word and see what the Bible has to say about hell. What does the Bible say about hell? You see, just like this smoke detector, if it's installed properly and the batteries are alive and well, and if everything works properly, that smoke detector will wind up saving your life one of these days. Hopefully you're never in that situation, but if you are, it could save your life. You see, the topic of hell is something that we need to understand. Because understanding that there is a literal hell may be the very thing that saves your soul. It may be the very thing that motivates you and drives you to get involved in evangelism and missions. Because that's the whole reason we do it. We don't want people to die lost and unsaved and unprepared to meet God and spend an eternity in a devil's hell. So in all reality, the thing and the topic and the issue about hell, as uncomfortable as it may be to focus on that topic, as maybe somewhat unedging it may be to think about that particular topic, may be the very thing that saves your soul and your family's soul from that awful place called hell. So in in all reality, there's a little bit of a parallel between the smoke detector, no pun intended, and hell, where there is a little fire and smoke. You got it? Okay. Let's pray today because I guarantee you there's one person that does not like me speaking on that and that's the devil himself. And so I told my wife, I I leaned over to her and I said, pray for me this morning 
I'm handling the subject that's not easy to preach. And I'll be honest with you, I don't enjoy preaching on hell. I mean, it's really, of all my th- favorite things I enjoy preaching, it's down at the bottom. I don't enjoy preaching on hell. But I stand here and I think about the statement that the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life. And he said, I have not failed to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And I will be not doing what God had called me to do if I failed to teach you the doctrine and the theology of hell. Because it does exist. So let's pray today and let's pray that, that God's blessings would rest upon us, that, that he would give me clarity of thought in mind. I need you to pray for me, you Christians and you that are right there where you need to be with God. I need your prayers today. And, but let's just pray and let's just invite the Lord into this and, and uh, let's just ask him to minister to our hearts this morning. Father, Lord, we thank you for the, the worship that we've already enjoyed. We thank you for the word of God that we have, that we can read and we can study we can discern and we can find out truth. And God, we're dealing with a topic today, just like the smoke detector, that may be a little bit unedgy or annoying or difficult and hard, and something we'd rather not hear on a Sunday morning. But God, it's truth and it's your word. And I pray you'd help us to, to understand and to study the entire counsel of God. Father, I pray that you'd, you'd build a hedge about us this morning. I pray that you'd drive back the opposing powers of darkness and wickedness and evil today and help us to have an understanding. Someone, as my wife said just a short time ago, someone here today needs to hear this message. God, I pray that you would speak through me your words of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was looking into the Word of God and really digging out, oh, just what does the Bible have to say about hell? I thought before I got in there and dug out the nuggets from God's Word, I thought I would look to our world today. I thought I would look to particularly the religious leaders of our world today. So I pulled several different quotes from you of some of the church leaders of our world today and what their perspective and their view on hell is. I'm going to give you a quote that was given by the late Pope John Paul, and he gave this particular speech and this quote on July the 29th, 1999. Listen to what Pope John Paul said, and he's passed away now, but this is what he had to say. He said, forget the flames and the devil with the pitchfork. Hell is not a physical place. It's something that is not inflicted by God. It's something that sinners bring on themselves. Hell is the pain and the frustration and the emptiness of life without God. Here's another religious leader. Here's what she has to say, Mary Baker Eddy which is the founder of the Christian Science Movement, which is really running rampant through Hollywood today and other parts of our world. Listen to what she has to say about hell. Hell is just our bad attitudes. It's our thoughts. It's our aspirations. While heaven is just a pure state of mind floating around on an ether wave somewhere. Uh. Listen to what the great Billy Graham said about hell. Now, I agree with Billy Graham on 99.9% of everything he says. I think I disagree with this statement, though. 
Billy Graham gave this comment in an interview with Time Magazine. It's in the November 15th edition, 1993. It's on page 74, if you'd like to look it up. He said, the only thing that I could say for sure is that hell means separation from God. We are separated from his lot and from his fellowship. That is going to be hell. When it comes to a literal fire, I don't preach it because I'm not sure about it. Here's another quote from a religious organization of our day today, the Church of England, which is the Episcopalian Church. They said this in the the July issue of the Sunday Telegraph. They stated about hell. We recently produced a document in which hell was effectively abolished because the bishops, the men, the religious leaders of this particular church, concluded that a good God could not allow anyone to suffer eternal torment. Instead, people who reject God face a non-being. Now, I've given you quotes from what would be probably some of the top four or or within the top ten religious organizations and leaders of our culture of our day today. The four of these individuals, the most influential church persons of our world, all four are denying somewhat to a degree the existence of a literal burning hell. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, just like the smoke detector that I used, we don't really want to hear about it. But may I remind you, if there is no hell, then what are we doing here today? If there is no hell, I don't know about you, but I enjoy walking. And it's a beautiful Sunday morning. I enjoy reading the Sunday paper. I enjoy a good cup of coffee in the morning. I would rather just, if there is no hell, why are we not sitting at the house drinking a cup of coffee, enjoying the Sunday paper, and then get in our family and going for a picnic or a brunch or a dinner or something and just enjoying the beautiful day that we have? If there is no hell, why are we even existing as a church today? If we all just kind of slip out into somewhere on a cloud, into non-existence, into a non-being, What is the point of doing what we do here on a regular basis in our church? Guys, you know the common denominator that I find with these four quotes from these four individuals, these church leaders? You know the common characteristic that I see running through their views and their opinions is this. It does not correspond with the teachings of God's Word. Amen? God's Word, I know it's uncomfortable, but God's Word teaches that there is a hell. And guys, just as much as we enjoy preaching about heaven, and matter of fact, I'm going to come in a few weeks and I'm going to talk to you about heaven and what does the Bible say about heaven because some people have some messed up views on what heaven's going to be. But just as sure as there's a heaven, I promise you there's a hell. And just as sure as heaven is a literal place, I promise you that hell is a literal place. So will you bear with me this morning as I try to unpack and share a little bit with you on what does the Bible say about hell? 
Now I'm going to refrain as much as I can from injecting a lot of my opinions and thoughts. And I want to stick primarily with what does the Bible have to say. Because in all reality, this, this is our final authority. This is the source of all truth. It doesn't matter if the bishops of any denomination, whether it be the Episcopal Paying Church or a Baptist Church or a Catholic Church or a Lutheran Church or a Methodist Church. Listen, there are no denominations in heaven. I don't care if denominational leaders get together and decide among themselves that there is no hell. It does not change the fact that there is a literal hell. You can, you can choose to ignore it. You can choose to accept it. You can choose not to believe it. But it's not going to change the fact that it's there. Hello? So just let me unpack a little bit this morning about what the Bible has to say about hell, and then I'm going to transition in to our world missions emphasis because really the driving factor behind world evangelism and world missions is the fact that there is a literal burning hell. That folks who do not know Jesus as their personal Savior will eventually choose their own destiny, and that will be... Hell. Look, if you will, if you have your Bibles or your sermon notes, take out either of those. If you have your Bibles, open them up, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 16. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 16. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture for you. Let's back up one slide there, Harold, and just wait just a moment on that first point. Luke, chapter number 16, in verse number 19. Just let me read this story to you. The Bible says, and this is Jesus speaking, he says... There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. Verse 22, one day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades or hell, he lifted up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life, You received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted while you are in agony. Besides all this, in verse 26, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you, Send him to my father's house, him being Lazarus. Send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. 
And in case I don't get back to unpack that, Moses and the prophets, Moses was not alive at this time. Moses and the prophets, Jesus was making reference when he said Moses, he was making reference to the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. He was also making reference to the prophets, which is all the major and minor prophets that are found in the Old Testament. What Jesus was saying, they have the word of God. We have the word of God today. They should listen to them. What? The word of God. Verse 30. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, when that phrase is used, think about the word of God. When they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, when they don't listen to the word of God, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now guys, let me unpack to you just with this particular passage of scripture, several different things. You know, but, but let me say this. Some people will take that passage of scripture and they would discount it by saying that it is a parable. Let me give you a hermeneutical principle. The word hermeneutics means rightly dividing the word of God. Here's the hermeneutical principle. Never, ever, ever in a parable is a name mentioned. In this particular story, we have the name of the poor man. What was his name? Lazarus. Okay? So therefore, this is not a parable. This is a story that Jesus knew about. I believe it was a real life situation that Jesus knew about in his omniscience, him being all knowing. It's not a parable because a name is mentioned. So let's look at this passage of Scripture and several other passages of Scripture and let's ask the question, what does the Bible, the emphasis is the Bible, not John Cannon, not our denomination, not church leaders, what does the Bible have to say about hell? Number one, jot this one down. First of all, hell will be a place of unquenchable fire. Unquenchable Fire. Lazarus, or the rich man, was had died and went to hell. And he called out in verse number 24 and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this what? Flame. It doesn't say I am in agony in this non-existence of a body. It doesn't say I'm in agony in this non-being of a person that I am. It says I am in agony in what? In this flame. So therefore, the question is, is hell a literal burning fire? If we're going to take God's word for as it is, then we have to say yes. Now, if you don't agree with that, here's my counsel to you. Get your razor blade. And go in your Bible and cut out that little word flame and put it aside and put in a little piece of paper and you inject whatever you want to put there. But let me give you a warning if you want to do that. It still does not change the truth or the fact that hell has literal burning fire there. Amen? You can believe what you want to believe. You can reason it away. You can use logic. But as I shared with you last week in our, in our Bible class, 
We cannot unpack theology with logic. The scripture tells us that we are to compare scripture with scripture. The greatest commentary on the Bible itself is, is, is the Bible itself. The greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. And the way that we dig out theology, the way that we dig out doctrine, the way that we dig out the truths about hell is to compare Scripture with Scripture and just look into the Word of God and let God's Word speak for as it is. And the Bible says that hell is a place of unquenchable fire. The rich man is there. He says, I'm in agony in this flame. In your sermon notes, I'll put a few more references there for you. In Matthew chapter 3. In verse number 12, Jesus says that he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the shaft will be burnt up with what? Fire that never goes out. Matthew 13, 41 through 42, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. And they will throw them into the what? Blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. This story right here really pierces my heart. And it's found in several of the Gospels. But Jesus said, if your hand causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable. Finish it. Fire. You know what Jesus was saying in that passage of Scripture? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Put it on a chopping block and cut it off. It's better for you to have the pain and the agony and the grief of having a hand removed than to die lost and go to this unquenchable fire. In the same passage, he said, if your eyes offend you. In other words, if you're looking at things you should not be looking at and it's causing you to lust or to sin, he says, pluck out your eyes. It's better for you, just pluck out your eye, than it is to go to hell in this unquenchable fire. If you feed, if it cut them off. I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is there a literal burning flame fire in hell? I believe according to these passages of scripture, we would have to say that yes, there is. Hello? Are you a witness? I just gave you chapter and verse. Many different, there's many more. But these are just a few that I pulled out. Hell is a place of unquenchable fire. The second thing I want you to know about hell is hell is a place of thirst, misery, pain, and bodily suffering. Hell will be a place of thirst and misery and pain and bodily suffering. I know it's uncomfortable to think about this, but just bear with me. After being in torment, the rich man, he looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off. And he cried out to Abraham. He said, Father Abraham, he said, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may do what? Dip the tip of his finger in water and just give me a drop on my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. You see, guys... When God created mankind, when God created Adam, you know what it says? After he created him and there he is, it said he breathed into the nostrils of Adam 
And man became a what? A living soul. You see, you're going to live forever somewhere. The question is not, am I going to live forever? You and myself and all of us and everyone that's ever been created and is a being is going to live forever. The question is not, am I going to live forever? The question is, where am I going to live forever? There's only one of two places. It's either heaven or it's in hell. But if one dies lost without Christ and goes to this place called hell, there the Bible records for us that it's a place of thirst and misery and pain and bodily suffering. I want you to notice that this rich man that died is now in hell. He has all of his senses. Do you see that? He could see. And he saw Abraham afar off. He could feel. He's in agony in the, in the flame. He had thirst, if you will. He was thirsty. He could speak because he cried out. He could feel all of, he had all of his senses is the point I'm, point I'm trying to make. Guys, if someone dies lost without crust and they spend eternity in a devil's hell, it will not be a place of just non-existence. It will be a place where you have all of your senses intact. And you'll be experiencing this for all eternity. Through all of your senses. And this bodily suffering and this misery and this pain. Third thing I want you to see about hell is hell will be a place of eternal punishment. A place of eternal punishment. Verse number 28, the rich man, he's trying to call out and he's trying to get out of there. And Abraham says to the rich man, he says in verse 26, I'm sorry, in verse 26, he says, there's a great chasm that's been fixed between us and you. So those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, and neither can those from there pass over to us. If you look in your notes also in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 through 46, these are the words that Jesus one day will say to someone. It's, it's reality. It's the truth of God's word. I hope he says it to none of us. But he will say this to someone someday. And he says this, then he also will say to those on the left, this is the unbelievers, those that have not accepted Christ, he will say, depart from me, you who are cursed, into what? The Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I want you to notice, guys, that that the 70 or so years that we live here, some less, some more, all that all we're doing here is deciding where we're going to spend eternity. I mean, life in a nutshell. I mean, this is the preparation for the next This is preparation for eternity. And if one dies lost without Christ and goes to a devil's hell, the Bible says that he will stay eternally in that fire and in that flame. And of course, for those that have accepted Christ, it says the righteous will go into eternal life. It's forever. Matter of fact, if one goes to hell in an unrepented state... He will stay in hell in an unrepented state. If one goes to hell hardened with his heart, 
he will stay in hell hardened with his heart. If one goes to hell in a sinful nature, he will stay in hell in a sinful nature. Listen to what the Bible says about this. Ecclesiastes 11 in verse number 3. It says, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. In Revelation 22 and verse 11, the Bible says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Do you get the point? Whatever you are in this life, whatever you've become, Whatever state you're in, that's the state you're going to be in in eternity. Whether you're saved or whether you're lost. Now, there's a doctrine out there that I've got to bring to light. And it's, it's, it's prevalent in this community, in this area. How many has heard of the doctrine of purgatory? Raise your hand if you've heard of that doctrine. Majority of us in here have heard of that doctrine. I hate to be the alarmist that's going to stand up here and tell you that that's not true, but that's not true. I would love to tell you, I wish it were true. I wish there was a purgatory. I really do. I wish there was a place. By the way, for those who may not know what the topic is or the doctrine of theology or whatever there is that they use there. Listen, I I pulled this straight off, straight out of a workbook of those who teach purgatory. The Catechism of the Catholic Church defines purgatory as, this is straight out of their publication, Purification as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven, which is experienced by those who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified. So as far to achieve the holiness necessary. So therefore, if you die wicked and vile and vain or in sin, you can go to this place called purgatory and folks can gather together and pray. And I don't know all the issue about money, but I think there's some money there too. Some of you Catholics can bring me up to speed on that, but that's what I've heard from some Catholics. Buying these candles and these things and, you know. Somebody give me a nod that's a former Catholic. You ever done that? Okay, I'm getting the affirmative. And you can pray and you can pray a loved one out of purgatory. I tell you what, my heart beats for that to be a true doctrine. I would love for that to be a reality. I really would. But I've got to be true to this book. You won't find the doctrine of purgatory in the Bible. It's just not there. Are you with me? The Bible says, Ecclesiastes 3, tree falls to the south, it's going to lay there. Falls to the north, it's going to lay there. If you die lost... You're going to stay there. Now that's not, we don't rejoice over that. But it's a fact that we must understand. Oh, how I wish purgatory were true. Matter of fact, if it were true, I'd be over there praying for people. I really would. I really would. If there was a way that we could pray people out of hell, I mean, that would be our, that would be our greatest evangelism tool. Eat, drink, be merry, die, have fun. Here, I'll pray you out of hell. Hello? 
I wish it were true, guys, but it's not. And we've got to accept that and we've got to understand that. And by the way, that's not a Baptist doctrine. That's not any other. That, that's, that's Bible. Has nothing to do with whether you're Baptist. Has nothing to do with whether you're Protestant. Has everything to do with whether you believe this is God's word. And if one dies and goes to hell, he'll stay there or she'll stay there eternally. Number four, jot this one down. Hell will be a place of memory and remorse. I'm just pulling things straight out of the word of God. Hell will be a place of memory and remorse. So back to the story in Luke 16 about the rich man. How he died and he went to hell. And Abraham said to him, look at that word he says, remember. Oh, can you imagine being in hell for all eternity? And having to go back and relive and remember your life that you lived here on this earth. Remember that during your life you received good things and Lazarus during his life received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in agony. Hell's going to be a place of memory and remorse. Don't you think the rich man, now he's thinking back over his life and he's wishing now that, that number one, he'd have been good to Lazarus. He'd have given him a little bit. As he's remembering, he remembers Lazarus being there. But it's not about doing really good deeds. It's really about giving your life to Christ. And you know what's going to happen for an individual that dies lost and they did not accept Christ as their Savior? And by the way, no one will go there who had not had at least one opportunity to accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. No one will be able to stand and say, hey, I did not know. I am without excuse. Romans chapter 1 deals with that. There's the outward creation. There's the inward conscience. God, whether you have a Bible, if, 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 if you're a man in a bush in, in Africa and you've never seen anything, you're still without excuse. God's revealed himself through creation and he's revealed himself through the conscience of man. And lot received will bring more lot. If you start accepting what knowledge you've been giving, he will reveal more. No one is without excuse, Romans chapter 1. But that individual that dies and goes to hell without Christ, he will remember, or she will remember, every opportunity they had to accept Christ as their Savior. They'll remember those, maybe a gospel tract that they picked up somewhere. They'll remember a missionary that came through their town or through their city. They'll remember the church, how the church reached out, reached out to them. They'll remember possibly a sermon that they sat through thinking, this is all hogwash. There's nothing true to this at all. They'll remember all of that. They'll remember how they put it off to a later date. They'll remember. And hell will be a place where they remembered every opportunity they had. If you die lost without Christ, hell will be a place of memory and remorse. Last one, let me give you this one, number five. Hell will be a place of awful associates. Matter of fact, in Revelation 21.8, in Hebrews chapter number 11, we have the great roll call of faith. We have the great men and women of God. 
that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the roll call of faith is how we identify that. In Revelation 21.8, I identify this as the roll call of hell. There's eight categories of sinners that are mentioned here. That if one dies lost without Christ, these will be his or her associates that she will be and he will be with eternally in hell. Look what the Bible says. But the cowards and the unbelievers and the vile and the murderers and the sexually immoral and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars... Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There's eight classes of sinners there. That's who the associates will be. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I want to hang out with any of those class of people. Do you? I don't want to open my home to any of those classes of people. Maybe one that I can share and hopefully convert. But I mean, just to let them come and make residence in my home. Me live with them? Would you want that? Huh? Now I'll take in somebody that's committed one of these sins and help convert them and get them straightened out. But the lifestyle is going to change. It was not going to be allowed inside the house. You get my point? I don't want to live with this. Do you? Come on, guys. I know it's hard. It's a little bit unnerving, I know. But it could very well save your life and the life of your family if you know the seriousness of rejecting Christ. If you reject Him long enough and you put it off another day and one more Sunday, if you neglect... given the heed and the warning... To your family, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. If we don't sound the alarm, who is? No one. The world will not sound this alarm. The unsaved, the unlost, or the lost and the unsaved will not sound this alarm. Don't wait for CNN and Fox News to do a special on the existence of hell. Guys, if we don't sound the alarm, who's going to? And I know, I'll be honest with you, I really have not looked forward to preaching this message this morning. I'd a lot rather preach something a little more positive, a little more upbeat, and a little something that encourages our heart a little more. But listen, guys, this is what drives us. This is what gets our focus outward. This is why we try not to get hung up in the petty stuff that takes place inside a church and just be religious people like a a mouse on a wheel just going through the motions. I don't want to be involved in a ministry that's just going through the motions. Time is too precious. Souls need to be saved. And if you guys decide as a church that, that you're, well, you're, you're satisfied with what we have now and you're not willing to grow anymore and your focus is not going to be outward, you let me know. I'm leaving. I'll go start another church somewhere. My focus is outward. It's not about keeping you and your family happy. Hello? It's not about me. It's about missions. 
about evangelism. It's about sounding the alarm that there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. And the only way that we can make heaven our home is when we look and we see that God banked, rupt heaven so that none of us would have to go to hell. He bankrupt heaven with his son, Jesus. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, and despise what Oprah and Winfrey may be telling you, there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. I don't know if you've seen her theology lately, but it's rapidly, thousands and thousands of people are buying into her theology. One problem her theology sounds good, makes everybody happy. And everybody can be comfortable. And we can enjoy. And we can want to flood her studio and get her free gifts. Say amen or oh me. Her theology does not line up with the word of God. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way. Notice the imperative. The divine imperative, I may add. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the light. No man comes to the Father except through me. You're going to say, preacher, do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? I'd be a fool not to. Jesus said it himself. He didn't say, I am another way. In the old Roman culture philosophy, all roads lead to Rome. They may have led to Rome, but they don't all lead to heaven. Hello? Guys, listen. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with this message that I've shared with you today? I hope and pray that everyone under the sound of my voice right in here in this auditorium this morning that you've given your life to Christ. Matter of fact, why not right now we bow our heads and close our eyes? And I want to have a time of reflection. And then we're going to transition into our world missions. And we're going to talk a little bit about that just briefly. But right now, I want you to think about your own life. And I want to give you a couple of things to think about. The first thing I want you to think about is your personal life. Have you given your life to Christ? The only way to stay out of this place that we've talked about this morning, this place called hell, is through Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. And when you come into our new offices, you'll see that. Jesus is the Savior, the Savior of the world. And the only way that you'll escape hell and spend eternity in heaven is through Him. To realize that He loves you, that He died for you, he was buried. He rose again the third day. And He's making intercession for you right now. And what you must do is realize that you're a sinner. And ask Him to forgive you. And come into your life. It's not about being a church member. Although church membership is good. It's not about being baptized. Although baptism is good. I think you should if you have opportunity. 
It's not about giving your tithe and your financial gifts. Although I think we should give our tithe and our financial gifts. It's not about taking communion. Although I love administering communion and serving that. But just doing those things in and of themselves is no guarantee that you'll get to heaven. The guarantee comes through Jesus. Remember our philosophy around here? It's about relationships, not religion. It's about relationships, not religion. Do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Think about yourself. Maybe right now you need to pray and you need to ask Christ in your heart. Or maybe you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Christ. Whatever the case may be, right now, right now, where you're seated, will you just pray a prayer something like this? Just cry out to God and say, God, I realize that I need you as my Savior. I believe you love me and died for me. and You're the sinless Son of God and you were buried and you rose again the third day and But I look at my life and I'm sinful. I'm so sinful. God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I give you my life today. I want to share life with you. Possibly you need to recommit. Just pray, God, I give my life back to you. There was one time I was so on fire for you, but I've gotten away from you and I got hung up in the things of the world and I've got my focus on myself and my family, my others, and my focus is not on you and God forgive me. You've opened my eyes to the harsh reality that there is a hell. Thank you for saving me from it. God, renew in my heart that first love, that joy, that enthusiasm that I once had to share your faith and your word with my friends and family and neighbors and loved ones that don't know you as their Savior. God, I recommit my life to you today. Maybe you need to pray a prayer like this. God, I've not been concerned about the lost. I've not been concerned about evangelism or talking to my neighbor or my co-worker. Missions has been the furthest thing from my mind. God, I've been so consumed with myself Father I've sinned forgive me for self getting in the way I die to self today and I rise and walk in the newness of life and I want to share your word with those that I come in contact with may my life be a witness and a testimony to those that don't know you God help me to be a witness for you God, I need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sister Terry is going to continue playing. Jamie in just a moment is going to sing this song. A couple of things I want to ask you to do. You've received a connection card this morning. And on that connection card, I'd like for you to fill out any decisions that you've made. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've rededicated your life to Christ, If you've confessed that you haven't been involved in evangelism and missions and you've recommitted yourself to that, let us know on that card. 
Donetta keys that into our database. I get a report of it. What I like to do, I like to pray over you. Pray that God helps you and sustains you. And then I like to send some material to you that will help you in your journey and your walk of faith. Let us know what decisions you made this morning. Today is World Missions Offering Sunday. It's our World Missions Emphasis. And I've asked the guys if they will please. We've got a little coin bank. And I'm going to ask them to pass this out to each one of you. And maybe God hasn't called you to pack up and leave and go to another part of the world or country and as a missionary. But there is something we can do. We can give to those that have given their life to go. It takes extreme large amounts of money to send people literally around the world. And what we're doing in our denomination and our philosophy is that we want to go to other parts of the country and we want to we want to train the people of that country to do ministry. We don't want to infiltrate other countries with American missionaries that, that just do everything. We want to train. We want to bring up other pastors and of that culture and Thankfully, we've got Bible institutes and Bible colleges and mainly primarily Bible institutes all around the the country, the world. Some in Mexico and some in Africa and some in Panama, just other different places. And what they're doing, they're training up young men and women in the Word so they can go out and lead their churches and lead their culture and lead their people. But guys, it takes a lot of money. And you may say, well, I don't have a lot of money to give. And that may be true. But I guarantee you we all have a little bit of something. And I know we live in a debit card, credit card type world, but there are still some that gather a little cash. And when you pay with cash, you get a little change back. What I've given you is a coin box. And I've stood here while I've talked to you and put this one together. Pretty easy, huh? I'm a testimony to that. At the bottom of it, you'll see you can fold it together. Go ahead and be doing that. Start with the letter A. It's pretty easy. And put it together. Your change can help change the world. You see, there are very few of us that are so wealthy that you could write a one lump check and cover the entire expenses of everybody's giving. And we can, I don't know of anybody here that wealthy. But if you are, please write your check. We'll take that too, okay? But all of us have a little something we can give. All of us have some change that we can start filling these up with. What I want to ask you to do is to take this. If you need more, we have more. And just put it on your dresser. All the kids in the house should have one. Mom and dad, you should have one. We've got them on the table. Stop by and get more if you need them. If we run out, we'll order more and get them in here. We've got some over at the new offices as well. But take these and start filling them up. Your change can change the world. And give to world missions. What I want you to do as you fill these up, I want you to bring them in and dump out the change and let us know that that change is for world missions. And 
We're going to put it in our church treasury and we're going to cut a check to world missions through our denomination, international missions. And it'll go to contribute to all of these different things. Impact 17 countries with the gospel, distribute literature and Bibles, evangelize children and youth, disciple new Christians, fund Bible institutes and seminaries, build church buildings. We can all have a part in world evangelism and world missions. And through the giving of your change, you're, you're doing your part. Will you do that? I'm going to show you a little video, and then Jamie's going to come back and sing this song. And while Jamie comes back and sings, we're going to have scrolling our international missionaries that are overseas, and you'll get to see those. But I want to show you a little clip on how this change box, coin box, can help change the world. Jesus, I won't let all 